Hey everyone, this is Miss Akimoto with your next chapter of A Long Walk to Water. So yesterday we found out that Naya's little sister, Kier, is very sick and they're trying to figure out if they should take her to a clinic, but it will be a hard walk to get there, which might make a cure worse. And we also found out in Salva's story that they have reached the Nile and they were building boats with reeds to cross it. So let's find out what happens next. Chapter 8 Southern Sudan, 2008. It was like music, the sound of Akir's laugh. Naya's father had decided that Akir needed a doctor. So Naya and her mother had taken Akir to the special place, a big white tent full of people who were sick or hurt, with doctors and nurses to help them. After just two doses of medicine, Akir was nearly her old self again, still thin and weak, but able to laugh as Naya sat on the floor next to her cot and played a clapping game with her. The nurse, a white woman, was talking to Naya's mother. Her sickness came from the water, the nurse explained. She should drink only good clean water. If the water is dirty, you should boil it for a count of 200 before she drinks it. Naya's mother nodded that she understood, but Naya could see the worry in her eyes. The water from the holes in the lake bed could be collected only in tiny amounts. If her mother tried to boil such a small amount, the pot would be dry long before they could count to 200. It was a good thing then that they would soon be returning to the village. The water that Naya fetched from the pond in the plastic jug could be boiled before they drank it. But what about next year at camp and the year after that? And even at home, whenever Naya made the long, hot walk to the pond, she had to drink as soon as she got there. She would never be able to stop Akir from doing the same. So, you know, Naya's story really hinges on that. She can't always get clean water. You know, she can't walk half the day and not have a drink of water. And they can't boil the water at the lake because there's so little of it. Um, If you've ever boiled water, you know that it turns to steam, so you lose some of it. And they get so little that if they were to boil it for as long as it takes to kill any bacteria that live in the water that would make you sick, there wouldn't be any water left to drink. So it's, it's a pretty bad predicament that Naya's in. Let's find out what's happening with Salva. Southern Sudan, 1985. The lake's surface was calm, and once the boats had pulled away from the shore, there was not much to see, just water and more water. They paddled for hours. The scenery and motion were so monotonous that Salva might have slept, except he was afraid that if he did, he might fall over the side. He kept himself awake by counting the strokes of Uncle's paddle and trying to gauge how far the canoe had traveled with every 20 strokes. Finally, the boats pulled up to an island in the middle of the river. This was where the fishermen of the Nile lived and worked. Salva was amazed by what he saw in the fishing community. It was the first place in their weeks of walking that had an abundance of food. The villagers ate a lot of fish, of course, and hippo and crocodile meat as well. But even more impressive were the number of crops they grew cassava, sugarcane, yams. It was easy to grow food when there was a whole river of water for the crops. Um, Cassava is sort of like a um, sweet potato or it's a type of yam um, that you can eat. 
None of the travelers had money or anything of value to trade, so they had to beg for food. The exception was Uncle. The fisherman gave him food without having to be asked. Salva could not tell if this was because Uncle seemed to be the leader of the group or because they were afraid of his gun. Uncle shared his food with Salva, a piece of sugar cane to suck on right away, then fish that they cooked over a fire and yams roasted in the ashes. Um, if you don't know what sugar cane is, it's actually where we get our sugar from. So it actually is a plant and it grows. And if you take the inside of it, you can like chew on it or suck on it. And it just, it's like eating sugar. So when we get our sugar granules, it's actually um, all of the liquid from inside the sugar cane that's dried. The sugar cane juice soothed the sharpest edge of Salva's hunger. He was able to eat the rest of the meal slowly, making each bite last a long time. At home, Salva had never been hungry. His family owned many cattle. They were among the better off families in their village of Luanarik. They mostly ate porridge made from sorghum and milk. Every so often, his father went to the marketplace by bicycle and brought home bags of beans and rice. These had been grown elsewhere because few crops could be raised in the dry, semi-desert region of Luan Eric. As a special treat, his father sometimes brought mangoes. A bag of mangoes was awkward to carry, especially when the bicycle was already loaded with other goods. So, he wedged the mangoes into the spokes of his bicycle wheels. When Salva ran to greet him, he could see the green-skinned mangoes spinning gaily as, in a blur as his father pedaled. Salva would take a mango from the spokes almost before his father had dismounted. His mother would peel it for him, its juicy insides the same color as her headscarf. She would slice the flesh away from the big flat seed. Salva loved the sweet slices, but his favorite part was the seed. There was always plenty of fruit that clung stubbornly to the seed. He would nibble and suck at it to get every last shred, making it last for hours. There were no mangoes among the fishermen's great stores, but sucking on his piece of sugar cane reminded Salva of those happier times. He wondered if he would ever again see his father riding a bicycle with mangoes in its spokes. As the sun touched the horizon, the fishermen abruptly went into their tents. They weren't really tents, just white mosquito netting hung or draped to make a space so they could lie down inside. Not one of the fishermen stayed to talk or eat more or do anything else. It was almost as if they all vanished at the same moment. Only a few minutes later, mosquitoes rose up from the water, from the reeds, from everywhere. Huge, dark clouds of them appeared, their high-pitched whine filling the air. Thousands, maybe millions of hungry mosquitoes massed so thickly that in one breath, Salva could have ended up with a mouthful if he wasn't careful. And even if he was, they were everywhere. In his eyes, nose, ears, on every part of his body. The fishermen stayed in their nets the whole night long. They'd even dug channels from inside their nets to just beyond them so they could urinate without having to leave their little tents. It didn't matter how often Salva swatted at the mosquitoes, or that one swat killed dozens at a time. For every one he killed, it seemed that hundreds more swarmed in to take its place. 
with their high singing whine constantly in his ears, Salva slapped and waved at them in frustration all night long. No one in the group got any sleep. The mosquitoes made sure of that. In the morning, Salva was covered with bites. The worst ones were in the exact middle of his back where he couldn't reach to scratch. Those he could reach though, he scratched until they bled. The travelers got into the boats one more time to paddle from the island to the other side of the Nile. The fishermen had warned the group to take plenty of water for the next stretch of their journey. Salva still had the gourd that the old woman had given him. Others in the group had gourds too, or plastic bottles. But there were some who did not have a container. They tore strips from their clothing and soaked them in a desperate attempt to carry at least a little water with them. Ahead lay the most difficult part of their journey, the Akobo Desert. Come back tomorrow to find out what happens.